Hi, it's Sade. Hi, it's Rolake. And welcome to a very special episode of The Other Side of the Atlantic podcast on women's reproductive health and fertility issues with future doctor Chichi, who also happens to be my cousin. So this episode came about um, through so many discussions we've been having with friends over the past few months um, and, and, and weeks and just really in our lifetimes and our adulthood about different um, reproductive issues that they've been having or different challenges that they've been having. Um, and we found that this topic is still very much a taboo because these are friends that we've known for a very long time. And it's only when they're about to have surgery or when you know something's really concerning them that they decide to talk to us about it. And we're wondering why so many women choose to suffer in silence when you know talking about these issues more and more, especially as black women, as African women, it just really helps other people who are going through the same issues. Um, so we've decided to dedicate a special um, episode of the podcast to talk about these issues in a Q&A um, with future medical student, um, Chichi, who's also actually worked um, in an OBGYN office and seen some of these issues. Yeah, so just to add on to the reason why we think it's important to talk about this, especially coming from a Nigerian culture, which is really traditional, and people just don't talk about sex, they don't talk about reproductive issues at all. And, you know, like at the age that we are, like early 30s, we're hearing a lot about different people having issues like fibroids and just different problems. Um, so we want to learn about how we can avoid these and then even basic things like birth control. Like how many times have you heard of somebody like getting pregnant because they didn't understand stuff about birth control and it's so taboo um, to even talk about these basic things. Whereas, you know, in other countries, you're taught these things and even in school and your family and even simple things like pap smears in Nigeria, you're not even encouraged to do this. So for us, we just want to get this all out in the open. Um, and get some wisdom from Chichi. So I'm going to hand over to Chichi now to introduce herself, and then we'll get going. Hi, everyone. I am Michelle, also known as Chichi. I am so very, very grateful to be joining Shade and Ralaki Abulaki today. Um, it is very, as they both said, it is very, very important to talk about this issue more. So many women we know are dealing with these complications, um, dealing with these conditions, and we're just not talking about it enough. There's not enough information being spread. And so I'm just very grateful to see these two women bringing this to light and using their platform to spread information. So I'm very grateful to be here. And thank you to the both of you. Welcome. We're so glad to have you. So very glad to have you. So let's get into the episode. Uh, the first topic we are going to cover is the big F and not the, <laughs> the bad F. Um, well, they're both bad anyway, <laughs> but fibroids. Um, so we, I, I um, thankfully have never had experiences with fibroids, but I do know so many women, um, both personally and just women that I know professionally or just, you know, friends of friends have had, have had issues with fibroids. So the first question we had on fibroids is what causes them? Um, so I would definitely say, first and foremost, there's no one reason for the cause of fibroids. And with years and years of women having this condition and dealing with fibroids of all different levels of severity, um, scientists have been unable to definitively say what exactly causes them. Um, but however, with that being said, um, the one of the main causes we think is genetics, a family history of having an abnormal gene marker is one of the reasons that we're seeing more and more women have fibroids. 
we see it in grandmothers, we see it in mothers and daughters, and it kind of just perpetuates down generations. So geneticists today are really working, um, working towards getting a GMAT for um, the market that is playing into fibroids. Um, but again, like I said, there's no definitive answer uh, as to what causes them outright. Another reason um, that scientists have leaned towards is an overproduction of estrogen and progesterone, two hormones that most women have, um, have heard of in their lifetime. Um, we also regulate that through birth control, which we'll touch on later. Um, but the, just the sad, the sad part of this condition is that we can't say what one thing causes this and how we can just target that one single thing to eliminate this condition for most women. So um, it's definitely ongoing literature, ongoing research, but right now um, we can't say for sure and pinpoint one thing that causes fibroids. Great. That's super interesting. So like, is there any way to treat them? So um, there are a few ways to treat them. One of them surprisingly is to do nothing. <laughs> um, and those are obviously in the more benign cases where um, a woman may have a fibroid, she may happen to just uh, discover it, having a bit of pelvic pain, um, a little bit of cramping, and kind of bring up that concern to her physician. Um, but if it's benign, there's no um, imminent harm at the moment, we can decide that we're gonna do nothing and we're just gonna monitor it. The next, the next step would be to use birth control to treat it, um, mainly birth control pills. And in that case, Sorry, why does that, how does that treat the um, fibroids? Um, so what the birth control pills does is it will stabilize it. So um, when it comes to fibroids, you can have a fibroid the size of a raisin. You can have this uh, size of a grapefruit. You can have the size of a basketball. Wow. And, and I know that probably sounds crazy, but there's sometimes you may see a woman and she'll have a larger abdomen. It's not because she's pregnant. It's not necessarily because they're overweight. It's because that fibroid and that overgrowth inside their uterus wow. is what's causing that, um, that weight and that um, kind of that roundness in the abdomen. Um, so what birth controls would um, do is they come in and they will stabilize the fibroid and keep them from getting larger. And typically this option is um, offered to women who don't want to undergo surgery um, because the, the easiest way and the quickest way would be to have them removed, but you have to understand that obviously there's there's um, harm, there's risk, and there's fear in undergo undergoing um, a removal. Um, but if it gets to that level, that is definitely um, usually recommended as a first line of treatment. Um, I will never forget one time I was working alongside an OBGYN, and she um, we were removing we're doing it's called a myomectomy, um, fiber removal is known as a myomectomy. And within a four-hour surgery, we removed over 23 fibroids from this woman's uterus. And in a situation like that, monitoring it isn't going to help. Um, using birth control pills isn't going to help. The first course of action is surgeries. Um, so with that being said, your options really are to monitor it, keep an eye on it, um, use birth control to keep it stabilized, or opt in for surgery to have them removed. So I have a question. Um, during a uh, OBGYN visit uh, in this year, my OBGYN said that um, she might have felt a fibroid. And I asked her if she could see it because I know sometimes in gynecological um, exams, they can see it um, if they're that big. And she said it, it could either be a fibroid that she's feeling or it could be my abdomen. 
Um, and I was shocked because I've had no symptoms. I know sometimes with fibroids you'll have heavy periods or pains. Um, and I've done um, ultrasounds before and they saw no visible fibroids. So, um, so she, with that, she likely thought it was um, just my, my abs. But what symptoms um, would you, if you are starting to think you may have a fibroid, what, what symptoms would you experience? Um, that's a great question, Shade. So some of the most common and ha uh, most experienced symptoms are heavy bleeding. That is usually one of the first signs that a woman starts to think that something's going on with my re reproductive system and I need to go see someone and talk to them about this. So um, we women, we know ourselves, um, we know our bodies and we definitely know our cycles. And so therefore we know when something is off. And so most women, when they start experiencing very heavy bleeding, even if you're someone who has a heavy menstrual cycle, when you start to notice that um, the days are getting longer or the bleeding is getting heavier, um, that is typically a symptom of having fibroids. Um, there's also clotting. Even if the bleeding isn't heavier, you may start to notice that you're starting to clot more. Um, and you're not just kind of passing streams. Um, so that is definitely another symptom. Another very common one is pelvic pain. Um, most people will describe it as cramping. And one thing you would hear um, with that symptom is, it's not the cramping I get with my regular period. This is the, I can't move. I feel, I feel like something's in my stomach. I feel like maybe I got hit in the stomach. You know, kind of that de debilitating type of pain. Um, so those are definitely the most common, common symptoms. And one other one that is a little bit less common is women reporting having no periods. Mm -hmm. And in that situation, uh, in that situation, um, the result of that is the fibroid is actually blocking the vaginal opening and they're not able to have a period. So that is one that's not normally heard of, but it is also um, a symptom of having fibroids. Whoa, whoa, that's so informative. Um, is there anything else we should know about fibroids before we move on to taking one of the other topics? So, for example, you know, at what point should surgery be considered um, to remove them? And will they will they grow back? Because I, I have heard of cases where um, the fibroids have disappeared and then they've come back. Yes. So that is actually a great question. Um, so you want to consider surgery when you start to know, notice that your abdomen is being distended, um, you've definitely tried the birth okay, control option if you're mean? a patient. So it means your stomach's extended. Thank you for asking, because I was gonna ask that <laughs> question as well. <laughs> thank, yes, thank, you. thank you for asking me to <laughs> So distension means that your stomach is extended. Okay. So let's think that we drink uh, like uh, two liters of water really fast and we get bloated. Yeah and you notice your stomach is sticking out, that is an abdomen, abdominal distension. All right. So when you start to, yes. So when you start to notice that and it's not the result of eating or drinking water or drinking fluids, um, and you just notice that your tummy region is just changing and it's not what it, it normally is, that can be a symptom or an early sign of having fibroids. And so when you start to notice that you're, you know, you're having changes in your stomach you're having pelvic pain, you've had the same period or cycle throughout your entire life, and now suddenly you're bleeding heavier. You used to have a cycle of three days, and now it's seven days or longer. That's when you kind of want to start thinking about, okay, one, I have fibroids. You go to your physician. 
they say maybe let's try birth control pills. That doesn't work. Now it's time to start thinking about surgery, um, especially in the case of you start to notice that the fibroids are getting larger. And you, 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 can, you can know it in a way because if you press on your pelvic region, sometimes you can feel it. And so if you press on your left pelvic region in September and you feel something like small, like maybe a grape size, and then you go back in November and it feels like the size of a tennis ball, your fibroid is getting larger. And in a case like that, when it's rapidly growing, you want to get it removed. So um, that is definitely when I would say you want to consider surgery when, you're, when your situation isn't stable. All right. Sorry, before we move on to the next topic, I quickly want to talk about um, pregnancy and fibroids because I know some people who have um, had to have fibroids removed before they um, were able to get pregnant and some people that were able to have kids with fibroids. So what are the dangers um, in having fibroids um, with pregnancy and can you have a safe pregnancy if you have a fibroid? Great question. So when it comes to fibroids and pregnancy, when it comes to the safety the answer to that question is yes and no. And again, it comes, you notice that I keep referring to the stability when it comes to fibroids. If you have smaller fibroids, they're not obstructing um, the uterine wall, they're not obstructing your ovaries, you absolutely can have a safe pregnancy. And in that case, what, happen, what happens is you will get ultrasounds way more frequently than women who don't have fibroids. So your physician is going to be monitoring your fibroids throughout the pregnancy. So as long, so long as they're not glow, growing, they're not shifting, they're not blocking your vaginal opening, you can leave the fibroids alone and you can deliver safely. However, there's always an opposite side to things. There are some situations where if a woman knows she has fibroids pre-pregnancy, it may be suggested to have them removed. But if you happen to find that you're pregnant after the fact, you go in to confirm your pregnancy, you get that first initial ultrasound and you see you have fibroids. They, it's, it's usually not recommended to go in and do an invasive surgery because you're already pregnant at that point. Now you're risking the fetus and the sac um, at the same time that you're doing that surgery because you're going into the same area. So usually what is recommended in that case is you're getting more frequent ultrasounds, you're seeing your physician more frequently um, the visits are a lot more in-depth to assess your um, symptoms. And then what happens is more times than not, you are um, suggested to deliver early mm -hmm. or you're suggested to have a C-section um, because doing a vaginal delivery is a lot more dangerous and a lot more high risk. Um, so the, the answer is yes and no, but there definitely are some risks um, to having fibroids in pregnancy, definitely. Super. All right. So I think we should move over to the next big F, which I don't know if this was one you were saying, uh, Shade is a bad thing, but it's certainly not a bad thing in my mind. So fertility. So, I mean, I have friends who are... So the bad one was the oh, F word. Yes, because <laughs> they're such good girls. <laughs> but yeah, so I have friends who, you know, they're our age, they're young, and they've had issues uh, with fertility. So could you first, like, just start off giving us a few tips about how you know, we can improve our fertility. Anyone listening who's trying to get pregnant, like I've heard different things, even things like it's to do with like stress and like, you know, what you eat. So could you just start off by giving us some tips um, on, yeah, what a woman can do to improve her fertility in general? 
So my first personal word of advice is women take care of yourself. You have to remember that when it comes to pregnancy, you are housing life. You are housing life and your 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 body is the is the kind of the vessel that is going to give life. So you want to really um, prioritize your health and wellness. And as well as they already said, your diet. Um, you want to make sure that you're eating foods that keep you healthy, that keep you strong, that give you energy, because you are the source of energy when it comes to being pregnant and carrying a child. You want to exercise, keep your blood flowing, keep your limbs working. You know, you want to keep yourself sharp as a woman, because, you know, we really are, we really are the leaders of life. And so you just want to make sure that you're prioritizing your health and wellness. That includes stress. We talk about work-life balance all the time. Not only is work-life balance playing into a mom's life, but it's playing into the pregnant woman's life. You know, you can't, you can't allow work to stress you while you're carrying a child, you know, partners, family, friends. You just really want to put yourself both in a physical well, a wellness, a mental wellness, and emotional wellness. Um, that is really, really important. So just, just to start off, on, I would definitely say keep yourself in mind, keep your wellness in mind. It's really, really important. Thanks. So you touched on, okay, so sorry, I just wanted to dig deeper. You said eat foods that give you energy. Are there any foods in particular you can recommend? And at what time, how far in advance to getting pregnant should people start eating these foods? So you should always be eating healthy. And I know it's hard because... We, have, we call it cheat meals these days, us millennials, um, eating french fries and pizza and Chinese food. But there's nothing wrong with that. But we definitely want to be eating healthy all the time. And especially us women who are of childbearing age, we're older and we're in a position to maybe start planning to have children. You just want to do that all the time. And even if not for getting pregnant, just doing it in general for your general well-being, um, you want to do that. Some foods, definitely eating your fruits and veggies. We've heard this since grade school. Um, eating your fruits and veggies, drinking lots of water, um, eating yogurts, cheese, those good fatty items, Salmon. eating nuts, cashews. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. So just prioritizing all those things that we've always heard of, but also now keeping in mind, you're preparing your body to be a home to creating life. So... So I have a question. Let's say my future husband and I have been trying for like six months to have a baby. I'm off my birth control. Um, we're downloading apps to seeing when I'm fertile and ovulating and we're still just not getting pregnant. Um, what kind of tests um, can we take to determine my uh, egg, I guess, egg level? Um, and even, you know, sometimes it's not always the women, it's sometimes the men. So what kind of exam can men take or tests can they take to see where our fertility is? Great question. And I'm actually very grateful that you know that after trying for six months, it's time to now start doing the testing and digging deeper into what the issue could possibly be. Um, so kind of just on a, this goes pretty deep. So I'll kind of give like a general overview. Um, but there is a such thing as fertility testing. And it is just a very large panel um, testing of different hormones. So one of the most important ones that I'll touch on it's called an AMH, which stands for anti-malarian hormone. And that is the test that will, that will assess your eggs, see if they're healthy. And this, this hormone, as you get older, 
and your egg count declines, this is that test that will tell you where you're at. If you have a very low AMH, there's going to be some additional intervention suggested to you in order to um, in order to have a successful chance at becoming pregnant. Um, what are those interventions? So IVF um, is definitely um, one of one of the options, but obviously that is a lot more expensive. Um, and you actually already mentioned it using um, um, period tracker apps. A lot of people use that because it's a it's a first line of addressing the issue. It's a lot easier. Everyone has an iPhone, um, so it's really easy to keep track of things. But you'll be surprised, a lot of people don't track when they're fertile. So sometimes they're trying, but they're not trying appropriately or accurately. So a physician may recommend a tracker app, making sure that you're trying at certain times of the day, you're paying attention to when your periods are. Um, so that is also another line of defense. Um, we, I'm sure we'll touch on this a little bit more later as well, but also freezing eggs. If you have a family history or a genetic history of women struggling to get pregnant in your family, it may be suggested to you much earlier on to start freezing your eggs. We often hear women in their 40s or their 50s being told like, hey, now is probably the time, but you'll be surprised. I've seen many women, 22, 25, 28, um, freezing their eggs because if they know kind of based on family history what's ahead of them it's better to get ahead of the issue than wait for it to appear and kind of it being a little bit more severe than it would have been um, if we started earlier. Thanks that's that's really helpful because that was going to be my next question because you know we're now in the age where we have the technology to freeze eggs and <laughs> I have a friend who's going through that right now yes. yeah and I think it's great. And, you know, like, you know, from West African culture where we are rather blessed in general in terms of fertility, like I know people who've had their first kids at like 38, 39. Um, but still, of course, I know many people with heartbreaking stories who found it really hard to have kids even in their 20s. So, yeah, that was my next question. Like, if you could, like, give some flavor to, you know, when people should start considering freezing their eggs. And also, you know, what is the process and how much does it cost? Because when we watch things like Being Mary Jane, you know, it looks painful, it looks expensive, <laughs> and it doesn't look very attractive. So can you tell us a bit about that? Definitely. So the biggest barrier to freezing your eggs, like you said, is the cost. And it's very unfortunate. And if I could have a magic wand, it would be to have the option to give every woman the opportunity to freeze their eggs at any point that they want. Um, and just to kind of give a cost and, to, and what plays into it, um, egg freezing can range anywhere from $6,000 to $20,000. And that is a huge range. And what, what, what um, falls into that large range is that for some women, they're more successful doing the first time. Um, other women, they're not as successful. And so they don't get to retrieve as many eggs. So they have to go in again. And women go into several rounds of this. So um, retrieving the eggs is about like a 25 to 30 minute process. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be um, as successful as it could possibly be. So that um, price range is really to incorporate the fact that you may have to do it more than once. Um, in terms of when you should start freezing your eggs, honestly, what I say is if you can afford it and you think that you may need to do it, do it as soon as you can afford it. I feel like now in today's society, 
women are waiting a little bit later to get pregnant. And there's nothing wrong with that because the technology is there. We have the medical personnel today where it's not, it's not like a life or death sentence to get pregnant at 38 or 40 or even 50. There are women who get uh, pregnant naturally at 50 something years old. No, wow. Um, <laughs> so there's nothing wrong with that. But like, um, for example, I'll use myself as an example. I will be going into medical school um, this upcoming summer. Thank you. <laughs> um, and so I will be, thank you so much. And so I am 28, I'll, I'll be turning 28 in January. And I have 100% thought about the fact that I may freeze my eggs before I graduate in four years. Um, it's completely on my mind. Not exactly sure how I'll afford it just yet. <laughs> um, but there's there's no harm in getting a head start on it. Because even if you don't have the symptoms now, even if you don't have the complications now, or you don't have the family history, that doesn't mean that your health can't change in two, five, or 10 years. So yes, the cost has been deterring. Um, and you know, sometimes people just don't know if it's for them. But I would definitely say don't take it off the table. If you know that one day you want to be a parent, you have to take into account that being uh, planning for pregnancy has its ups and its downs. And part of that is having the backup methods so that some way, somehow, no matter what, if you want a child one day, you can have a child one day. Yeah, that is. So I recently saw. I recently saw um, a news article about a woman using a 28-year-old frozen egg to conceive. Um, that blows my mind um, because I didn't know eggs lasted that long. Um, so I just wanted to know how long are frozen eggs viable for? 28 years just seems like a really, really long time to freeze an egg. So um, that woman is a miracle worker. That means she has golden eggs. Um, so typically <laughs> eggs are stored um, for up to 10 years. Mm. And to be honest, they, so they recommend that as the most um, efficient um, and having the best chances and having the best viability. Um, but to be honest, a lot of that also plays into, um, a lot of what plays into that is the storage cost. Mm. It can cost up to $1,000 to store your eggs per year. So on top of that 6000 to 20000 that you're paying to have the process done, you have to pay for them to keep Whoa. them frozen each Whoa. year. Never even thought of yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. I know, like, we women, we, we have to deal with yes. so much. <laughs> so my friend who's yes. doing it, her, um, her company's actually paying for it. And I, I mean, I have mixed feelings about it because I'm like, you know, it's like a very hot, um, hectic lifestyle working for that company. So, so I like the idea that they're offering it to young women, but I also hate the idea that they're saying, just keep working and wait, put your life on hold. <laughs> I, yeah, that's, that's the first thing I yeah. thought Yeah, <laughs> but sorry to start you off. Keep going. No, no, you're fine. Um, but you're right. That's why they allow you, like the minimum sometimes is 10 years mm -hmm. because we figure women want to keep working. Women want to keep establishing themselves and keep achieving things. So it's okay for them to keep putting it yep. off. Um, but but like Shadi said about the twenty the twenty eight year old golden egg, <laughs> I have even seen um, women whose eggs were fourteen years old and they had a nice, easy, successful, viable pregnancy. So they tell you ten years is the ideal time, but as you as you've heard, you can definitely use those eggs later on, so long as you're willing to keep paying to store them. To be honest, that is super interesting. I'm mindful that we've hit the 30 minute mark. So what I'm thinking, because I'm not with you guys, is 
we should have a part two. I think we should have a part two in the next episode. If you could come back, because I have so many questions about birth control, smear tests, HPV. Um, and I'm sure our listeners would have questions they can email in. Um, I don't know what you guys think. I 100% agree. I was literally about to flood her with questions on past years <laughs> and the HPV um, examinations and irregular pap smear tests. But I think um, having a part two would be great for just for our answer questions that we have, but then also for listeners' questions. So how about this? We, um, for those who are listening, email us your questions at other side of the Atlantic, and we will have Chi Chi come out, come back in about a month or so because uh, she's rounding up all of her medical school stuff now. So um, she is pretty busy. So let's be mindful of her time. But um, if you send in questions, um, we can have her come and join us for part two of this. I would love to come back. I enjoy speaking with you all. And I just enjoy having the opportunity to discuss this topic and share information with other women out there. This is a fight for all of us. So I am more than happy to come back and give some more insight. Thank you so much for having Amazing. me. Amazing. Thank you, Chi-Chi. Thanks for your wisdom. Thank you. And your time. Thank you for joining us. All right. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> okay. So ladies and even some men, if you guys have any questions, please do email us at othersideoftheatlantic at gmail.com and we will have Chi Chi answer them in part two of this segment. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>